This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. All right, what's up, everybody? It's Richie, Post-American Podcast. We're back. Just me doing a one-on-one with a special guest today that we're excited about because this guy was in, one, in my opinion, one of the greatest flicks of all time. And it just so happens today is the 27th year anniversary for the release of this film. This film was written by Chaz Palminteri, directed by Robert De Niro, and I got the star with me today. Lilo Brancato. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Richie. How about yourself, buddy? All right? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, man. Yo, this is exciting because we're all fans fans of uh of of yours and the movie over here. And I want to jump right to it. I want to say like you know, this is 27 years ago today. It's your that's your first movie, correct? Yeah. So you come out swinging in crazy, crazy, like in an iconic film right off the bat. Did you always want to be an actor or just something like, like, how'd you even start as a kid? Like, how'd you get started with this? Well, they did. I was just, uh, you know, I was on the beach July 5th, 1992. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, I had heard about the film that they were looking for, you know, uh, actors with no experience to like, you know, be in this film called The Bronx Tale. Robert De Niro was going to direct it. And it was like a big deal, you know, everywhere you went, you know, at that time, there was like flyers and billboards and all kinds of things. It was like, it's a big deal. And uh, I mean, I really never put much thought into it, you know, when I saw it like that. But then one day we were on the beach, my brother called me out of the water. There was a guy handing out flyers and uh, he gave my brother a flyer. And when my brother read it, he thought that I would be perfect because everyone always told me that I looked like De Niro. (laughs) came and got me introduced me to the guy the guy thought i had the perfect look for it uh he 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 invited me to the belmont playhouse down in the bronx i went down there that night um i never acted before he gave me a scene i did it i did really well i didn't even know i was able to do that but i i I did and then i was able you know then i was um so the guy went, you know, his name is Marco Greco. I actually saw him in the beginning of the year, the first time since back then. And, you know, he liked me a lot. So he kept asking me other things and he, had, he was taping me the whole time. So they sent the, you know, this was back in the VHS days. This is 1992. Mm-hmm. They sent the tape to Robert De Niro and uh, down to, you know, Tribeca. They saw the tape. They liked it. They called me the next day. And then I went down to Manhattan and then, uh, you know, there was very, it was very overwhelming and intimidating. There was a lot of people down there reading for my part. And, you know, like, I don't have any experience in this. Like there's like real actors, like looking to, you know, like in the corner reading lines and stuff. So I was very intimidated by this, this whole scene, this whole thing that I was experiencing. So as the days went on, there was less kids than it was only me. So it's common sense. They must like me. I'm the only one coming back. So eventually I met Robert De Niro. Um, It was great to meet him. I met him by surprise, but it was great to meet him. He loved what I was doing. Uh, Would Give me a little direction here and there. And then we were like trying to put together different combinations as far as the kids who played my friends, you know, trying to find a girl. So I was, you know, I was there a lot. I was very involved at that point, reading with all different actors to find the right chemistry to make the film. And, you know, eventually Robert De Niro told me to dress like I was going to church, that we were going to do a screen test. They were going to actually put me on screen. Uh, the day I went down for that, I discovered that I wasn't the only one reading for that part. It was also uh, Phil Garbarino, the kid who shot Sonny. He was going to get my part. They found him first, but he was 21 and I was 16. So I guess they liked the fact that I was a little bit younger, maybe the story worked a little bit better like that. So, um, you know, we, we went, me versus him. Like, he'd do a scene, I'd do a scene. Eventually, I got the role. 
you know, I got the role. They gave him the role of the guy who shot Sonny. Uh, he's still a very good friend of mine. His name is Phil Garbarino. He's a great guy. And, uh, you know, we did the film. We did the film. We didn't know 27 years later that the film was going to, you know, would have been as well received and as, as loved and as iconic as it is today. We yeah, no- it, it's so iconic. And that's cr- I never knew that about the, uh, the other guy, the, the, the guy that shot Sonny. Was he pissed right. off or what? Did you ever talk to him about yeah, it? Yeah, well, no, you know what? He's, he's like, listen, he may be bitter, but he's not bitter with me. Yeah, all right. Really good that's guy. Good. I mean, you know, like, I love that guy. He really is my good. Like, listen, you know, though, yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but, you know, when I was away and stuff like that, yeah, I was upstate. Let me tell you something. That kid came to see me twice. Wow, respect. Twice. The kid didn't have a lot of money. He bought money, put money on my books, and he had money for us to eat. In the, in the visit room, like vending machine food. He made sure you're going to get soda on the table for me. I mean, stuff like that, you never forget. Yeah, he, that, that's, that's the Bronx, You know what I mean? Yeah. He took the train all the way upstate. And you know when he came to see me? When? In 2012? He came to see me on Thanksgiving. He wow. Because he knew I would be alone. He said, that's why I came. I didn't even know I was getting a visit. Because I told my parents, stay home. Don't worry about it. I'll just see you guys this weekend. Because Thanksgiving's Thursday, so I got visits Saturday and Sunday so my mother could come then, you know? So mm. I ruin your holiday, enjoy it, and then you come see me Saturday or Sunday or whatever works better for you. you wow, what a, what a guy. Did he ever do any other uh, other movies or no? He was, I remember he was like a good-looking kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, no, he never did anything else. He never. He's like, uh, he's uh, what you call it now? He's an electric... He's in. The, he's an electrician. He's in the union. He does. Oh, I wonder if I see him around. That's what I do. I do concrete in the union in New York. Yeah, City. no, but he's he's not. He's uh, he's on the west coast though. Oh, okay. I got you. Got you. Yeah, yeah he moved out there. Moved wow, that's out. amazing. And you were sixteen doing that movie. Right, and he was twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, and he was twenty-one. To me, I would think that's the reason why they went with me. I don't think nothing because I'm a better actor or anything like that. I just think the age. It works better when the kid's younger. If it's 21, Richie, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. at, age, at 21, you're already somewhat molded. You know what I mean? At 16, you're more impressionable. So I just think like, because this is like a crossroads for this kid in the Colojero, mm-hmm. right? He either goes left with Sonny or he goes right. He goes the right way with his father. You know what I mean? And that's, but I think at 21, you already made the decision in which direction you would have went. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. He because he, he did look a little older older than you, but then he again, was. you looked a lot more like Robert De Niro than he did. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's uh, you know that that's probably uh, another reason why, um, you know, but you know he's you know like I said he's a really good friend of mine. I mean I guess I'd say I'm sorry that I beat him out for the role. <laughs> you know I mean we went to like Seaside Heights. We went to the Jersey Shore together. Me, him, his brother Tommy, his brother Tommy's uh, girlfriend Jeanette, his father. You know what I mean? So like he's like a close friend, Phil. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's a that's a cool story. I never realized that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at sixteen years old, like, what is it? Uh, is it a little too much to handle? Like when this movie comes out, I imagine it was like a typical big uh, production, big premiere, a lot of people around, famous people you've been seeing your whole life. Was it a lot to handle at 16, or were you just... Yeah, of course it was. The Bronxdale, the premiere was awesome. I've been to a lot of premieres mm-hmm. and, and big films, too. And I got to tell you what, nothing, nothing was better than that one. Not because... I mean, listen, because I was the star of the movie, and that definitely helps, but the way De Niro, right on Greenwich in Tribeca, right in his neighborhood, 375 Greenwich, that whole part of that strip right there, they closed off the whole street. Cobblestone roads. They had tents. That was a party, man. You had to see. I'm talking about there were wise guys there, made guys. Lucchese guy. It was all wise. There was wise guys there. There was big, like, there was Lawrence Taylor was there. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. Al Pacino was there. I mean, everyone was there. That's it, so dope. That's really cool, man. And, you know, like, they all were there, and I was, like, so in awe because I'm, like, this little kid. This film really just, like, it's the premiere, but it didn't really come out yet to where I'm going to feel the effects of what it really is. 
So this is like the quiet before the storm. And you got like these people, like these grown men and women, like these real somebodies coming up to me, like congratulating me, like what you that was on those great. And it's like, it's like so, so much to take in at 16 years old, but you know, it, it was, you know, it is, it, it was what it was, you know, I did what, yeah. I did but uh, you know, but after that, you know, the movie did, uh, you know, fairly well. It, it did better as time went on. But then I was in Renaissance Man uh, with Penny Marshall. She was also, she was from the Bronx. Uh, now, when I read for the part, right, of Renaissance Man, it was the summer of 93. Bronx Tale didn't come out till now. So... Penny Marshall knew I was in the film, but she hadn't seen the film or she had, and she hasn't, she hadn't really ever seen the act. I auditioned for her and she liked that, but you know, she would really have liked to have seen the film. So Robert De Niro, he really did me a favor and he knew Penny from, I mean, they were very close friends, but you know, he did awakenings and uh, Robert De Niro did me a real solid and he screened the film for Penny Marshall just so she could see, you know, what she was going to be possibly working with if she had cast me in Renaissance Man. And she saw it. She loved it. And I was in, you know. Oh, that's cool. So basically, it's kind of like she was she wouldn't have a, had had a chance to see your work. Like, it could be, you know, if she waited for the movie to come out, it might be too late. So, right. Oh, You're absolutely cool. right yeah. because she was doing screen tests. Because after that, she flew me out to LA. That's when I first met Mark Wahlberg. I met Kadeem Hardison. I met Bokeem Woodbine. I met Michael Rappaport. I met every, everybody was there that day auditioning. Everybody was screen testing, you know? That's awesome. Yo, I'm going to see Michael Rappaport this uh, Sunday. He's doing a little oh, stand up. Yeah? yeah, he's doing some stand up. That's cool. You mentioned him. Yo, you mentioned like at the screening, why a lot of wise guys showed up, legit, you know, guys with their Yeah, buttons. real guys. I'm not gonna mention any names, but yeah. But uh, guys, I yeah, was bro. wondering, you think like were they like uh like did you have any you probably did, but you have any knowledge of that that life in that culture before the movie? Um you know what? Not really. I mean very little because I didn't grow up. My father was old school Sicilian. He was a builder. Mm. So I grew up around more that kind of element. You know, hardworking Italian family. My uncles had a, you know, they all had a trade. My Uncle Angelo was a tailor. My Uncle Joe was a cabinet maker. My Uncle Joe, the other one was an electrician. You know what I mean? My Uncle Vinny, you know, he was a, he, he, did, he was a cobbler like his father. They did shoes. Uh, his brother Carlo did, you know, the sign. You know, everybody had a trade. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Everybody worked. So it was like, I didn't really grow up around that. I mean, but like as Italians, every Italian always knows somebody like that. There's always one way or another, there's some affiliation where you come across, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And did these guys, did they kind of, because uh, I know sometimes the made guys they like these kind of movies you know what i mean they like this stuff so they well, yeah they like they like the ones that are done the right way yeah yeah exactly were course, they trying to I, were they trying to get your interest pull you into any other stuff after that or they just they just there to party and they're leaving everybody alone and and doing oh work? yeah no 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 it was yeah it was just like that it was one big celebration you that's, know that's LT, great lt was there lawrence taylor i mean yeah, the, yeah i mean what's his name Schwarzenegger was there. It was big. Pacino was there. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of people. A lot of people that night. Now you yeah. got like you got De Niro. That's like Lawrence the father. Says he was there, huh? You got De Niro. He's like the father figure. You know, he's your father in the movie. Now De Niro in real life, he gets like mixed reviews. Some people love him. Some people hate him. What What was your experience with with him? His personality. How was he? Oh, with me, it was great. You know, you can't like De Niro's like very to himself. He's very quiet. Could you imagine being that guy? Can you mm. the 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 resume, the body of work that he has? Yeah, at sixteen years old, you're basically in. you're basically making a movie with the world's maybe history's most celebrated actor at sixteen years old. You're starring side by side with this guy right off the no, bat. No, but I'm just no, no, no. What I'm saying is like, a, oh yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's very. Hard. I was I was more coming to his defense, saying yeah. 
said some people don't like him. Yeah, that may be so. But you know, sometimes he's very to himself. You got to understand the level of which at which that man has reached. Like, do you know how many people probably come up to him and this and that? You know how many times and how long he's been going on to where, like, if they do come up to him, he may come across a certain way just because he's just like so. Because you know he's a person too. You know what I mean? So that's the only thing. I, you know, like I would like I would say in his defense, it's like someone was like felt that they didn't like him when they met him. It's just because the guy is just so inundated with just so much. But with me, I don't have anything bad to say about Bob De Niro, Robert De Niro, nothing. I mean, he, tr- he treated you good. Shot of a lifetime. I uh, just saw him a couple of years ago in December when they were doing uh, The Irishman. He was sweet as pie. He showed very genuine concern if I was okay. He asked me, are you okay? And, you know, and, when I, and, the, main, and the thing that when I got in trouble, he never said one bad thing about me. Not one bad thing. He didn't say anything about anything. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, that's you know, like in a situation like that. What good are you going to do talking about a situation that this bad already? You know, you're going to make it only worse. So leave it alone. It has nothing to do with you. And that's what he did. And I respect that. And I'll never forget that. Yeah, that is, that's, that's respectful. Now, on the other hand, Palminteri talked a lot about what, what was going on when you had your situation, this and that. Did you take any offense to the way he was talking? Of course. I took, of course I took offense. Of course. Anybody would. Anybody in the yeah. world. Anybody in the world in my situation and the dynamic between Chaz and I, had they said that about him, if, had he said that about them in the same situation, anybody would be upset. And the reason why I got really upset the most is because my father got wind of this. My father liked Chaz. Chaz liked my father. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, my father said to me, Lila, why these are people, why, why this guy isn't talking? Why he said, why does this guy talk about you like this? He's not your friend? I thought he was your friend. Like, what, was he, what is he saying? Like, what is he doing? You know? That's like, that's, that's not good, man. You know? I understand you're disappointed in me, and I understand I made all these things, but, yo, I made it right. I made it right. I'm sober almost 14 years. I've, I've de- de- dedicated a big portion of my life to helping others with the experience. And you should respect that instead of still wanting, you know, but you know, I don't even like, you know, whatever it is, what it is. He, he thinks what he wants. And uh, you know, I wish him all the best. And you know, if it wasn't for, for him, we wouldn't be celebrating the Bronx tale today, 27 years later. So that's got to stand for something, you know? True, true. Now, does he have you ever come across him personally again, or you just heard what you No, heard? I haven't seen him in a million years. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I remember he did, like, a lot of interviews. This and He wasn't saying nothing bad, but he was very, you know, he was almost acting a little too much in the mix, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But that's amazing. I mean, it, it, he wrote this movie, and, and some argue, is it his, his true story or kind of, like, uh, partial? You know? I think partial. I think, you know, some stuff was added, some stuff was subtracted. Uh, for the most part, though, but, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But from what, from the most, for the most part, from what I hear, it's, uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, you know, it's his story. I mean, his father's name was Lorenzo. I did meet him. His mom was Rose. Like, I met them, and that was their name. So I know that part's definitely true. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so. And did you ever get wind of, like, why he chose that name, your character's name, Calodro, in that movie? Was that based on anything in particular? Or yeah, that? that's his name. That's his real name? Yes. Chaz is just a Hollywood way of saying Charles. Charles in Sicilian is Calodro. <laughs> All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Like, Carlos so, is Charles, you know? Yeah. But Italian, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, Calogero. Uncle, yeah. Hello. Have you ever been over to Italy or no? Oh, yeah. Back in, uh, I haven't been to, I was there back in 85, long time ago. In Sicily or somewhere else? I went to Italy, Sicily, and France too. We went to, we had some relatives over there. Oh, nice. Italy, Sicily, and Calabria. I went, yeah, I went to Calabria too. Oh, yeah. That's, that's where my people are from, Calabria. Oh, really? Where? The place called Falerna. It's uh, th- there's a Falerna by the sea and a Falerna in the mountains. F A L E R N A. So uh, that's incredible. really yeah, a little tiny tiny area. Yeah, yeah. Well, my mother's from Acre. It's in the 
province of uh, Cosenza. So I would, oh, yeah. I would have to ask my mother. Maybe she knows. Beautiful place, though. Beautiful. Yeah. Now you come out, you and and thanks to De Niro, he's showing this. He's showing her the, the clips, the private screening. You get another gig immediately, and that's the the Renaissance Man, right? Correct. Now, right. out of all of these movies, because you've been in a, a ton, a ton. I always like the movie. I think it's is it Crimson Tide, where you're actually doing the De Niro imitation. Which one? Oh, that's that? Renaissance Man. That's Renaissance. Yeah, that's yo. That's that's yeah, all. Crimson, that's, Crimson Tide was the the submarine one. Okay, got you, got you. You've been yeah, in, a, yeah. in a ton of movies. Have you ever had the same experience f- that you had in the Bronx Tale? Because, or once you got that out of your system at sixteen, was everything else just easy for you? Like as far as like you you knew and uh, you knew the process and whatnot. Uh I mean, yeah. Let's yeah. I mean, the Bronx Tale. I worked, you know. I worked all of October, all of November, all of December. So I worked for like three months straight, like long hours and a lot, a lot of work. And, you know, yeah, after that, I definitely had a lot of experience under my belt just because of what was asked of me to play that role. You know what I mean? That was a lot. That was a lot for a kid, you know? Oh, totally. I can't, I can't believe you were 16 at the time. I didn't even realize. I should have known because that that's... (laughs) That would make sense, but just to imagine, you know, when you're when you're an older guy and you look back at 16, that's a lot to handle, man. That's a big deal. Amazing. And then so you got the the Renaissance man. You got a lot of other like you know Crimson Tide, the the, the one I screwed. That was a great movie. I know you had Enemy of the State. Uh, you just went on and on. At what point? Because at at some point, obviously something went wrong, and maybe you know maybe you're partying too much, but like what, what period was it related to the movies? Where, do you think where something was, we, you started changing and you know, you're getting in trouble a little more. Well, you know, remember I did the Sopranos too. That was a big part of it. Uh, the Sopranos I did in 99 and came out in 2000. Uh, but you know, at that time I just used to store Coke and, and drink on the weekends. Uh, but then it's, in 2002, that's when I discovered the pain medication. Well, I discovered it earlier, but then by 2002, I was like a full-fledged, you know, uh, I was taking Vicodins, Percocets. So then I developed a habit with those. So I figured from like 2000 to like 2002 to 2005, everything okay. went downward. Because 2000 was a good year for me. I did, I did a movie in Miami with Cuba Gooding Jr. I did... I had The Sopranos come out. I had Falcone come out. I had another film with Abel Ferrar. Like, that was a big year for me. 2000, you know? Like, I did Rxmas with Abel Ferrara. He did King of New York, Band Lieutenant. Mm. So I, I, did, I did really well that year. And, you know, I made a lot of money. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big reason why it was so easy to you know, slide downward the way I did and to spiral downward, you know, the was, access to the money. Yeah. I had the money, you know, you know, going out every night, you got females and you know, like who's going to tell you anything. You know what I'm saying? Now, were you like the West coast actor or the East coast? Did you stay in the East coast this whole time or did you relocate out there and, and whatnot? No, I always, I was always here. I okay. mean, I was out there for like a month or two at a time, you know, during pilot season or something like that. But uh, for the most part, no, I've always stayed on the on the East Coast. So being on the East Coast, you're with all like your old friends, familiar ground, probably even a little easier to even with the access, access to the loot, even more easy to get in trouble, maybe, you know? Yeah. That's that. Absolutely. Wild. Yeah, I I'm mean, looking but, now. 2000. Yeah, but listen, but listen, but we, yeah, but that. Yes and no. When you're around your friends and stuff like that, you do get in trouble. But if they're your real friends, they'll keep you away from trouble. You understand? But now if you go out to L.A., it's much scarier out there. You got a lot of lost souls out there. You know what I mean? There's a lot of drugs. You're away from your family. You're away from your close friends. And I think it's more dangerous out there uh, if you're going to be on drugs rather than here. Mm, Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Because then you have there, like, no one will even notice. No one cares about, you know, like there's no one out there that really, I mean, you get some, I mean, obviously you got some friends. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like a, a land of strain. Like it's strange to you. You don't live there. Yeah. You get, you know, like uh, the movies and stuff like that, but over, you know, it's a city. It's got a lot more than just that. And it's yeah. a lot of people that you don't know. You're in a strange place doing dangerous things, putting yourself in danger. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I knew. I mean, if I had to move out there now, I would. Now it's different. But back then, back then, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it. Mm. And could you pinpoint? Is it one person who got you into this stuff, or was it like a slow process? Uh no, I wouldn't say one person. I think it was a slow process. You know, just the access to it. You know, going out every night of the week, you know, being in the limelight, the spotlight, and people, hey, Lilo, you know, and all that. I just think it made it, it was all, you know, all this, just the whole lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, and it seems like that's a, that's a, like a, a reoccurring story with the, a, a young uh, star, you know? Right. It's just, we hear that a lot. Uh, and, and people like uh, a lot of the, the same actors that, ca- that, you know, did have their start. And like, uh, I mean, Bronx Tale came out in 93. So a lot of the actors that had their start around then, you know, there's a handful of them that, you know, they didn't even make it, The young, some of the young ones. Like, you know, but they were mostly like West Coast guys, it seems. It's probably a rough business, man. Oh, it's, you know, it's very rough business. Um, I think, the, I think you know, you got to try to create your own stuff. You got to do your own stuff. Um it's so hard to just wait around and have people give you jobs. I mean, it happens and it can happen, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm a big believer. I just think to do your own stuff because nobody knows you better than you. And when you write something, you write something where your strengths are going to come out. Not, you know what I mean? Like you have some character that somebody else wrote and it's like, yeah, it's a challenge because someone else wrote it. So it's now your take on what they wrote. That's great too. But I just think that maybe people don't know something about you that you can maybe incorporate in a character that would really cast you in a good light as far as acting ability is concerned. Because maybe it's something that you were able to do since you were a kid. Maybe you were able to do this character or this voice or whatever it is, or be funny in a certain way. So now it's like you can incorporate that Mm, yeah, that makes sense, and that's basically probably what uh, Chaz Palminteri did. Right, in the story, yeah. in the character, and now it's like you have just created a stage for yourself to shine. The yeah. right, you know what I mean? You're not going to shine on every stage, but certain ones you will, and that's why you have to be careful, and there's no better way at ensuring yourself that you're going to get on the right stage other than to write your own material. And are you, have you been writing a lot or no? I myself don't write, but I have great stories that I talk to others and they write. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. So are you in a process? But I have of- like, I remember dates. I have very compelling details as to stories and things that I've lived in my life. So it's like, you know. Yeah, I mean, your life, uh, I mean, if you if you pulled a palmetary and, and wrote about your life, that's that's quite a story. It's in itself. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Yeah, there's would you a lot ever of layers? Would, there's definitely a lot of layers to it. Would you ever have any interest in something like that? Um, maybe one day, but I don't know if I would do it about myself. I just think I, I kind of want to like leave that all behind. Mm. You know, I just want to move forward from now. And I think if you keep doing that, it just keeps reminding people of the you know the awful things that happen. It just makes it harder for people to forgive you. I think if you can't just, you know what I mean. So, I mean, uh, do you have a problem? Absolutely, we'll talk about it, Rich. I'm not saying I want to talk about it tonight, but I'm just saying, as far as a future film is concerned, you know. Yeah, and that's probably something you'd want to do when you're much older, anyway. You know what I mean? Not like, not at this point. You're still very young. But uh, yeah, that's definitely not something. You know, maybe later on. You know. Yeah, because it is it's 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 a, it's a crazy story. But you talk about forgiveness. Is there pri- people like? Do you have an issue with that? Like, are people not forgiving? I mean, you did your time, and you did you did some serious time. Uh, 
I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't forgive, you know? A lot of people that don't forgive. Um, and, you know, that's their own, uh, that's their own prerogative, and that's what the way they feel. I can't change that. Um, and I respect how they feel. Just leave it alone. Yeah. But, but there are a lot of people that have forgiven me, a lot of people that really never had a problem with my involvement because they knew that there was really no involvement. You know, that there was, you know, okay, you're on drugs. Uh, you know, you were getting high, but you didn't have a gun. You got shot first. You didn't have a gun. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, listen. Yeah, that's why I don't get it. Like, what's the problem? Like, what is there to... I take responsibility because my actions, my bad decisions, they definitely made a contribution in what happened that night. But I just think the fact that they, like, pretty much blamed me for it because I'm the guy that people know, and that's going to sell some newspapers. Uh, I think they used me and made me out to be a really bad guy just for their own benefit. When, you know, it's just not right. It's just not right. It wasn't fair to me. Was a fan of my family. It's like they call me a cop killer. You know, it's like it's the craziest thing ever. Cop killer. I've never been in trouble before. And now I'm out one night and I get shot unarmed because I wanted to get high. But I'm a cop killer for getting shot unarmed. Yeah, that's what I, I don't people, understand. Like, I don't know how that was spawned and how. Well, listen, man, the press is powerful. They're talking about this coronavirus. Listen, I've known about altogether close to 15 people that had it only one person was in a hospital my sister-in-law's grandmother is a hundred years old she had it and beat it if the press covered car accidents all day long just like they cover this no one in the world would get in their car anymore they were too afraid to drive because all they would be talking about is car accidents oh my god i'm not going to get my car i'll just take the subway that's what that'll create. This has created this. Masks and all this. Why does everyone have to wear a mask? If someone doesn't want to wear a mask, that's on them. But if you don't, if you don't want to get sick, then you wear a mask. If you, then you wear a mask. You know what I mean? I can't breathe something. I work out so hard and now I'm in the gym. And it's like, I can't breathe because of the level I want to work out at. And I got to wear this mask. And it's like, I already had the corona. And listen, I'm not trying to minimize it. I just think that, uh, you know, I think it's a really horrible thing. And there's so many people that died. And it's like, it's awful. It really is. It's really awful. And I just think that, you know. You're just pointing out the press's uh, contribution to the, to the hysteria with it, though. Yeah, that, totally. That's, that's fair. That's very fair. When you had it, was it how'd, you, how'd you feel? I never had it. I know a lot of people had well, it. But- I, 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 lost, I got shot by the cop. So... You know, I was unarmed. Did mm-hmm. I, I tell you that part? I was yeah. unarmed and I got shot first. Uh, Where did he shoot you? He shot me in my, in my abdomen. I got shot like by my ribs twice and then a graze. I lost my spleen that night. Uh, so I had to get a, a vaccine for pneumonia because I can't fight it without a spleen. So maybe that, that vaccine helped me. Uh, I didn't get the respiratory issues. All I got was chills, lower back pain, and lost the taste and smell. Other than that, I was good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm hearing all types of different uh, different symptoms. Different people got this, that, this. It seems like there's nothing really steady. I, I do hear a lot about the no taste, no smell, no smell deal. A lot of people say that happened. But well, so let's go back to that. You, you don't mind talking about that? You got shot in the abdomen by this guy. Did you even see him pointing a gun at you, or did you just like he just? No, I heard him first. I heard somebody say, don't move. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't say, don't move, police. He said, don't move. So obviously, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm smoking crack. I'm all jumpy because I'm paranoid. And I'm wired out of my mind. And somebody screams, don't move. First thing you're going to do, natural reaction by any human in the world, not just me, any human in the world would have done the same exact thing that I did in my condition at that time by what was said at the volume that it was said in the place that it was said. Anybody would have done that. So yeah, he said, don't move. I turned, boom, boom, start shooting at me, okay? Jesus Christ. I don't know who this is, you know? 
yeah, I mean that that makes the whole, the whole situation much different. You know that that part of the story. You know, what I mean? it makes it a lot different. But <laughs> yeah. this is not, you know, this is not what they tell people. They tell people that an off-duty police officer comes out of his house because he hears people breaking into his neighbor's house. Okay. Uh, he didn't make a call, but I guess they didn't respond in time. So he did come out as a hero. He that was you gotta have courage to do that. You don't know what's over there. But he came outside. Um, by that point, I was a, like the the part of me like wanting to go in, I already like abandoned that thought. I was walking the other way. That's when he said, Don't move. Boom, boom. As soon as I turned around, then that started happening. I couldn't believe what happened. I got blood squirting through my fingers. I like hobbled all the way to the street. Then I hear additional gunshots as I'm going. I had no clue the guy I was with, who was my ex-girlfriend's father. She broke up with me because my drug addiction got so bad. That's why I was hanging out with this guy. So it's not like it was my friend that, you know, he was a guy who was my girlfriend's father. We were friendly, but, you know, that's the situation. So it was bad. So I didn't know that he had a gun. He was, having, he was shooting with the cop. I hear stuff, but I'm already walking away. I don't know what's going on because it's like mayhem. And my mind's like all over the place because I just got shot as to like, who the hell was that guy? Why did I get shot? I'm feeling weak. Am I going to die? Are the cops going to save me? Are they going to, you know what I mean? I got 90 things going on. You know what I mean? It was like really crazy. But, uh, you know, we both survived. The cop, you know, unfortunately did not. But my co-defendant, he got shot like six to nine times. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, he got shot all those times and uh, we both survived. Within a few days, though, at the hospital, we were both charged with murder. He was charged with one. I was charged with two. Murder one, murder two. So, now we went to Rikers. When you come to when you come to it in the hospital and you hear about these charges, are you just like dumbfounded, confused? Yeah, because I didn't know, like, how the hell, like, am I being charged with murder? But it's called felony murder. It's when the felony results in the death of a non-participant. Like, say if you, you know, you steal an old lady's purse and she has a heart attack. That's felony murder. You may as well shot her in the head. You're going to get the same amount of time for that. What was your felony then, though? Bur burglary. Burglary. But you know, right. you didn't even go in. Right. So they got me on attempted burglary. Attempted burglary. Right. Jesus. I got 10 years for attempted burglary in the first degree. That's wild, man. That is yep. wild. And the other dude got life, right? The, uh, the father. Yeah, natural life. Yeah, natural life. Any contact with that guy or no? Uh, no, I haven't spoken to him since 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah, like 2008. Damn, that's a lot to go through, man. That's a... That's a that's just such a insane scenario. Like I I, I you know I kind of knew what happened from reports, but I didn't know that happened. You get you you got shot out of out of nowhere. Like what did they expect you to do? Like you know, <laughs> you just fall over. You wake up. You got charges on you. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But I, that's how it works. That's what you said. And yeah, the, you know what? They might have been the papers and stuff. They might have been very excited that they had your name and they had a a, a popular guy. And a story around stuff because you're right. That's how they operate. Yeah, I mean the Bronx Tale. The whole thing is the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And it's like, oh, there he is, the guy from the Bronx Tale, wasted talent. You know? Yeah, they wanted to make like a little parable out of it or something like. Yeah, that. and they, you know, they. I mean, it was what it was, and they sold a lot of newspapers, and people ate that shit up at my expense. And uh, you know, I went and sat and did my time, like a man. I went to trial. Uh, never said anything about anyone. But I came home a better man. That's the uh, that's that's the main thing. That's the most important thing. When I went to first year, I was still getting high, but I overdosed, and then I just wanted to change my life. Uh, November 18, two thousand six, was the last time, and that and I've been sober since. Uh, I mean, you know, well, you know, I learned a lot about the law. But when I went upstate, I beat murder at trial. I went upstate with ten years with conviction of attempted burglary. I did eight out of ten. I got my GED, I got my college, my associate's degree. 
So I accomplished a lot when I was there, and I knew that's what I had to do if I had any, if I wanted any shot or if I had any shot of succeeding when I came home. And uh, I knew I had to educate myself. I knew how important that was, and uh, I did just that. I earned the degree. I, I got a time cut. I came home in eight years, and uh, you know I, it was really tough in the beginning. Uh, a lot of people against me, but uh, I built up some credibility. People started to trust me again. They see that I'm on the straight and narrow and that I want to help people. You know, I don't want to see, I, I want to help people not see them go down that, that road because there's so many that do so many that do so easily because they fall right into it. They don't even know that it's coming. They're growing up. They're 16. Now they're 17. They're dabbling in the liquor, the this, the that. Before you know it, they're snoring coke, and then they're taking pills. And before you know it, they're full-fledged heroin addicts. Well, respect on the change. And while you were inside, were, were guys on the inside, since you're, you know, they, they recognize you as soon as they see you, I'm sure. Were you getting a hard time, or was that making things a little easier? Uh, I think, you know, well, for the most part, it helped. Mm, okay. Most part it helped. How so? Uh, uh, I mean, because some you know, people favorite you a little bit when they know, you know what I mean? Because they, yeah. like, they want to hear the stories and they just think it's cool. So like, you know, I know the kid from the Bronx Tale. So like, you know, you, you're on the visit, you know, their family's there, they know they know you, they like that, you know what I mean? So it's like cool. It's cool. But then you get some people that may not, maybe a little more jealous and not handle it that way and may not like you just for that reason. That happens too. So you just deal with it. You do your best at trying to neutralize somebody like that. So there's no, uh, there's no problem. And while you're in there, that that's the last time you get high while you're locked up. Is, is that what you said before? Wait, say that again, Rich. The last time that you got high, was it while you were locked up? Yes, November 18, 2006. And then just what was it just a, a you know you had a you you had a vibe like this is this is over like what caused the big change from that last that last session? Well, I was on, a, on an attorney visit when I was in the box because I overdosed in my cell. I overdosed on November 12th and then the heat came down and then they sent me to the box and my cousin and my friend Corey came to see me on an attorney visit, they were very disappointed. And after that day, I just decided like, I just don't want to do this shit anymore. I don't want to get high anymore. And I got better. And I got better. I knew that was the only shot that I had. I had to get sober to, to fight the case. Imagine going to court, all strung out and stuff like that. The jury will convict you before they even hear the case. Yeah, you got no shot. Forget it. No, you don't. Now, is it is it uh is it easy to stay sober uh, in prison, or is it is it is it just readily available and a little bit hard? No, it's not. It's easier to stay sober, but if you look, you'll find it. Okay. You'll find it. That's that's wild, man. And and it's, it's upstate New York. We're all over the place, different spots. Oh, uh, I was in Oneida, and then I was in Hudson. Okay. We actually had a guest uh, a few episodes back, and he he did time up there. And I said, I asked him, I said, Have any uh, famous guys ever come through? And he mentioned your name. And uh, what, was, he, what was his name? His name was Scott Ebanks. And uh, he just, you know, he just mentioned uh, no no story or nothing behind no, it. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when we were over there, we were Ja Rule was with us. The the low voice dude, the fifty cent. Yeah, yeah. How was he? You were locked up with him? Yeah, Jared Jarro was a good guy. Oh, all right. Good, good. Yeah, he was all right. You know, he was actually made me laugh. We had a good time. And uh, I don't got anything bad to say about him. I think that he was all right. Uh, never complained, nothing. I was there with Plexigo Burris. Oh, over the, uh, when he shot himself? Or would he do yeah. something else? No, it was when he shot himself. I was with Plexigo. Uh, yeah. No. Now, what are they intentionally keeping the famous guys together? Or no, what, what was up with that? Say again. Were they like intentionally keeping the famous guys together or something? Well, yeah, that was uh, the classification. They had to keep us in, a, you know, they could, you know, like we weren't in population. We were in administrative segregation. Admin seg. 
segregation, you know, through the administration. Gotcha. Yeah, because yeah, they yeah. know. I guess. Yeah, because you know you got real wolves out there, but you know you got some wolves there too, but not like you do. You in know, the, in the general population. No, you don't. You don't. I'm not going to sit here and say, "Yeah, it's with the managed guys around, rich." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't. No, no, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with some guys that cried over every little thing. <laughs> like Morris. Well, well every, every time. Every time we have like a, a guest on who has done time, we always did a little something a jail story. I don't know if you got any prison story, uh, you know, if you want to even tell anything. But there's always there's funny ones, there's violent ones. There's always something, you know, in there uh, that long. You might have something. Okay, I got, I got, I got a couple of, I got a couple of stories. I'll tell you a funny one, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you a violent one, and I'll tell you, yeah, yeah, a funny one. The violent one was, there was this, this is Rikers Island. <clears throat> this was a Saturday. And I remember I was so mad that day because I missed church. And that's why I used to get my morphine. I was literally banging my head on the wall trying to make that. I got to go to the hospital just so I could see the guy and grab 20 morphine pills. I was literally ready to jump out the window. I was ready to escape that day just to go get high because I missed <laughs> church. I was so mad, Rich. Rich, you have no idea. I was fucking fiending. I was fiending. I was like, that, literally, I was going to escape that. I was thinking of a way. Wow, that's sick. Just for the drugs, not for anything else. Not because of all the time I'm facing, not for the anything else. Just to go get high. And I would say, I'll do an extra 20. Just let me go get it right now. <laughs> you, know? you really would. You'd make that deal. It's so sick how powerful that shit is. So, all right, it was a Saturday. We had two new guys that came on the block that day, okay? So we had this kid, Shamel, but we used to call him Shah, S-H-A. Shah was from Harlem, um, you know, and there was these, there was these two. One kid, his last name was Green. I don't remember, and the other kid's name, they used to call him D. His name was Simmons, but they used to call him D because I knew him from in passing. So, Shaw was like the big guy in the house, right? So that first day, Shaw told the kid, D, like basically like this is what the house is about. You know, we watch this on this day, we do this, we do this, and oh yeah, don't even go near the phone after nine o'clock. So the kid was like, what? He said, what do you mean don't go on the phone after nine o'clock? He's like, bro, I'm on the phone whenever I want. You ain't gonna tell me when I'm gonna go on the phone, right? Mm. So the guy was like, I bet, bet, right? No problem, right? We had a CO there that day. I'm not going to mention her name because she was in one of the nicest sweetheart. She was Jamaican. She was an absolute sweetheart. She used to wake us up to let us know the food was coming. She would let us know. She'd be like, a, like a, our mother, you know, come on, get up. You have to eat. You have to eat. It's good. It's good chicken today, you know, like real nice lady. Mm. Okay. And she was working a double that day. She usually works 3 to 11, okay? But she worked the morning shift too, 7 to 3. She worked both. So she used, like I said, she's the 3 to 11. So in the morning shift when she was doing the double, she was like sleeping at her desk, okay? Because mm -hmm. she was the night, you know, the later on too, so she wanted to rest. So now... I know all these kids in the house. I know I didn't move, but we had that new kid. I told you, Green, he was a crip, right? And there was a few other crips in the house. And the way the cell block was set up, it's a long tier with cells, and you got three picnic tables down the tier. And then when we get cracked out, that's where we bring our trays, and that's where we eat, you know, where we play cards, you know, whatever we do. And then all the way down is the TV room, and there's plexiglass, so the CO could see through the wall in case anybody's doing anything crazy, right? So now I just see all the movement. I see the movement and I see where Shah was sitting. He was sitting all the way at the last picnic table to where he could watch inside the TV room and he could watch the CO. So in other words, he was the lookout, okay? Once I seen him sitting there looking back down and up, down and up, I knew this guy was... I knew exactly what he was doing. This was the quiet before the storm, okay? 
So now you got the other kids in the day room and the kid D, the one who said, you know, I'll go near the phone whenever I want, right? He was, in, he was watching TV. He don't even know what's going on, but I already know what's going on because I know the kids. I know where D's at. I know where Shah's sitting. I know they're going to give this kid a beat. So this is not my problem. I didn't really give a shit about any of this, not even a little bit, okay? But, you know, whatever, it's entertaining to watch. You know, I'm not going to lie. You're sitting there all day. You know, I mean, listen, should it be entertaining? Is that cool? Probably not. Am I a good person? Back, you know, I don't know if I would think that was cool now. Back then I did, and I was wrong for it. But, you know, I was like, all right. So I maybe even got a little popcorn to enjoy the show because I knew what was going to happen. Oh, shit. So these kids are like circling around them, and it's like real quiet. We're watching TV, and all the other kids are playing stupid. They got them thinking that nothing's going on. And before you knew it, bro, it was like a hurricane went through that room. Everybody, a chair started getting thrown. They threw the kid. They were banging him up. Grown men picking this kid up off the ground, smashing his face into the concrete floor, beating the living shit out of him, like five dudes destroying this kid. They left him in a puddle of his own blood. I thought he was dead. What I saw, I thought this kid, I don't know, I can't see this kid surviving. But uh, he did live, and that was a real, real bad beating. Um, they, had, they had to bring him out in, like, an ambulance. It was, like, it was serious. How long were you in there when that happened? Uh, Say again? How long were you in there when, when that went off? Uh, by that point, that was May of 2006. I was there for about five months. Jeez. Five months. That probably that probably said a little thing in your head right there, seeing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, early like five on. Five and a half months. I was yeah. like, okay, okay. All right. So now, funny story, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, funny story. We had this one guy, this Asian guy. He was uh, he was a crafty little guy, you know. So you know what he used to do? Because Rikers Island, they make their own bread over there. I don't know if you know that. Rikers Island makes its own bread. It's I like, didn't know. In the yard outside, it smells real good. But then you remember where you are. So then it offsets to how good it smells, right? Mm. So we get loaves of bread and they just give it to us. You know what I mean? They're already sliced, but there's no preservatives. So the bread gets hard quick. But you know what you do when it gets hard? You just get somebody who works in the kitchen, put it in the oven for like, you know, a few minutes. It, it softens it up again, but you got to eat it fast. All right. So what this guy did, you hear me, Rich? Yeah, I got you. Okay. So what this guy did was, he used to get the bread. He used to take the, the crust, the edges off, and he used to mix the bread with water, right? So like where it's moldable, right? And he used to make bread and make it like it was little pieces of shit. And he used to get the instant coffee, and he used to put a little bit in like a cup with some water, but leave it like so it was pasty, right, Rich? Wow. And he would paint the fucking white bread till it looks like shit, right? So when he used to come to search the cell block, he would leave the lump like logs of shit all over the place. <laughs> he was like, yo, what the fuck is this? Who the, who, they were like, who the fuck shitted all over the place? Like, what do you guys got a fucking, what do you guys got to go? A St. Bernard? Everybody's going crazy. The fucking, the guy said that. The CL goes, what the fuck you guys got, a pet horse? He goes, who's taking shits like this? We were laughing. Everybody was laughing. That's awesome. It was funny, boy. And it was an Asian guy? Yeah. Fucking uh, the bread, he made like it looks like pieces of shit. The way he used to paint it, he'd have it in the corner. Bro, like logs of shit, bro. And he'd all over the place. So why did, like, why did he want to do that? Like, what? Well, just to throw them off a little bit, to make them think like we got, like, what are these guys' animals doing up here? Taking shit all over the fucking fleet. guys got toilet bowl. Or either that, or they think maybe like one of the CO's Smuggled in like a dog for us. Or something. <laughs> we got a 3D, you know, a cell block dog, the mascot for 3D. You know? <laughs> that is sick. That's funny, man. Yeah, the dog's name was Riker. <laughs> <laughs> Riker. Damn. How yeah. Yo, so you go to Rikers early on, right? In the bid, like before you get sent elsewhere. Is that how that works? Well, Rikers is, is, is jail. Yeah. It's where you fight your case. And then when you get convicted, you go upstate. That's prison. How long are you stuck in Rikers? Three years, man. Ooh. Damn. That's rough. Yeah, three years, Rick. Three years in Rikers. 
Yeah, heard that. Had a co-defendant, you know. Yeah, was he in there at the same time? Pretty much. Mm. That's we wild. weren't in the same. We weren't in the same building, though. Oh no. No, we were in the. We were. They separated us in the beginning. And uh, did that guy ever? Did he testify anything that hurt you at all, or no? No. So nobody said nothing, and then uh, it's just how nope. it went down. No. Nah. He probably could have, because they get natural life. They maybe would have said, listen, you tell on this kid, we'll give you a 15 to life. Because 15 is not a high number, and life is still life. When a cop body, they'll leave you in there for, you know, 100 years. They'll mm. go home. But you know what? 15 to life sounds a lot better than natural life without the possibility of parole. You know? Natural life just means you're going to die in there. Is that what that means? Natural life. You're not, you're not coming out of there alive. Natural life will be spent in there. Damn. Yeah, without the possibility of parole. There's no parole, like, you know, that's it. Yeah. Damn, man, that's wild. That story, though, that's insane. That's ridiculous. The, 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 dog, uh, the dog shit bread. Yeah, it's funny, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I like shit like that. That's, that's ridiculous, man. Yo, Lilo, this is... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is good good talk and uh if we could if we could take it back to the bronx tale because it is the anniversary did you know that today did you know it was coming or did oh you yeah just... yeah no no i know i know yeah okay okay i didn't know if uh if you knew that or just seen uh, sometimes you see stuff online and it reminds you you don't even realize so it, is there a lot of people reaching out to you today and any uh D does media want to talk to you in general about the no, movie on a day no, like this? No, not like that. No. I mean, you got a lot of people on uh, in uh, on Instagram tagging me in their story, acknowledging that today is the 27th year anniversary of the film. Um, you know, I, I try to share the stories and to my story, um, but it's you know 27 years later. It's um, you know 30 years is going to be big. 30 years will be big, you know. Yeah, that would be sick, man. They'll probably have a party and not even invite me. No, nah, they got to invite you. Come on, who would invite you? I wasn't there for 25. I doubt I'll be there for 30. How could you start a movie? You can't even have a party if you don't get to start a movie. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's the way they want it. You know what? You call me up, call a couple other people up. We show up. You ever hear of you crash a party? You got to crash that. It's your party anyway. What do you yeah, need? You need yeah. an invitation? Look at the movie poster. That's your invitation. See the face yeah, on the Yeah, I know. Poster? I don't want to upset Chaz, though. I don't want to upset Chaz. I don't want to hear him screaming and yelling and all that. <sighs> oh, that's that's a shame. You don't think like he, uh, you don't think things would be good between you guys if you came in contact? I'm sure. I don't would, think right? so. Nah? I don't know. I don't think so. You're like, what, what's he like? What, uh, and I it, tried, man. I spoke nothing like a, but like a gentleman about him and respect. All the first years I came home, but he's just not receptive. Uh, it is what it is, you know? And why do you think that is? Like, what's his problem at this why? point? Why? Because I didn't do his documentary. When I was in jail, he wanted me to be in a documentary that he was doing where he was going to make me look like a jail junkie and he was going to be like, you know, look good. Meanwhile, I'm facing a murder charge. And this guy comes to me with that. Because I spoke to him before that, while I was in jail, because it was his birthday. And uh, he seemed to be fine. I wish him a happy birthday. He was okay. But then when I, you know, said I wasn't going to do the documentary because I'm like, let me finish. Let me see what happens. And then I'll do it if, you know, I'm, I, you know, I beat the case or maybe later on or whatever. Uh, so that was the trigger, you think, that he got something? Yeah, that was the trigger. You know, he could say whatever he wants about all that other stuff. I know exactly what it's about. You know? you know what? Maybe he needs a beating like the one we saw in Rikers. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know what? The karma, <laughs> man. He shouldn't do that because he knew my mother and father, you know? He yeah, that's, that's not right. Things, and if anything, he should have tried to help me, not hurt me. After. Yeah. But, yeah keep, you know, keep his mouth shut, help, and that's that's the only two options he should yeah, have. Yeah, because yeah. no one will ever say anything. Yeah. If he tried to help me or tried to, you know, the way he, he made it all about business. He didn't make it about that he really doesn't want to talk to me because he's upset that I, well, there was a cop killed. He said, I don't want anybody to think that I have anything to do with this kid. In other words, don't hurt me business-wise. I have nothing to do with this kid. Uh, but you anyway, Chaz. You were one of the people that gave me my shot. 
But when he gave you a pass, they would have said, well, listen, he gave him his start. If it was somebody else, maybe I wouldn't understand. But Chaz helping him, I understand that. He loved this kid. They made an iconic film together. Give him a pass. I know I would have. Even if my father was a cop, I would have still said, but that's Sonny. That's Chaz. And people would have respected him more. But I yeah. think, I think, I think he made the, I don't think he made the smart choice. I think he made, there's no way he could have went wrong with embracing me again, trying to help me. And, and, and just, you know what I mean? There's yeah. It, and honestly, I'm just, I'm like a, a guy and outside a fan of the movie. And I, I even could tell like he was being a certain kind of way, but I didn't know any of these details. I just kind of like, I, I would notice him talking and in a kind of a judgmental kind of tone, you know, and, yeah, that's what he, weird. you know what I mean? Yeah. If you look at interviews that I have done from 2014, I would say, till about 2000, up until last year, anytime that my name, that Chaz's name came out of my mouth, it was always spoken about with respect, with admiration, with love, and understanding of what and how he feels and why he feels that way. You can go look at all this, but it's just like, and this guy keeps doing that, keeps having a problem. So it's like, you know what? Maybe what I'm doing is like, I actually want you to hear this and to see that I do respect you. And if you can't get past that, then that's on you. I'm going to keep doing what I got to do. You think I'm going to go get high because you don't want to talk to me? I'm going to keep doing what I got to do. I'm going to keep getting closer to my destiny. And that's helping others and doing great things. You want to be part of it? You can. If not, then don't. Yeah. Now you got you got the attitude, that's for sure. Great attitude, bro. Right. What other attitude you're gonna have? Well, a lot of people, you know, some people. Commentary doesn't like you. Come on. Yeah, some people do good. You know, do the feel sorry for yourself route. This and that. You know, I mean, it's you know, you could have went the other way. You're going the right way, like you said earlier in the interview. And when when I when I talk to my friends, we all you know, when we say like we say, what's the Mount Saint Helens? of the mob movies, you know, and the Bronx Tales always up there on that mountain. And we always ask each other, I'm going to ask you, will another movie on the level of the Bronx Tale or Casino, Goodfellow, will it, will another movie ever come out or, or is that over, those style of movies? I, mean, I thought The Irishman was going to be that, but I don't think that reached that level. Uh, I thought The Irishman was good. I don't think it was a great film by, by any means. I just think it was too long. Something that long, it's just too, it was just too, too long. You know what I thought about it? You know what made the three ones I just mentioned, Casino, Bronx Tale, Goodfellas, what made them good was there was also elements of humor. In The Irishman, there was no element of humor at all. You know No, what I mean? there wasn't. And, and that's just, that seemed awkward to me, especially for Scorsese, you know, because his, his Usually his stuff has that, you know, especially if Pesci's in the film, there's going to be some laughs because he's going to be like a real guy and there's guys who are funny, there's guys who aren't funny. But yeah, yeah but the Pesci, was, well, I thought Pesci was great, but he He played- was, he was great acting, but it, the acting was great all around, but the story was just, it was so dry and like, you know, there was, we, I, I would like to see more like developed like characters, like who was... Who's the ball breaker of this group? Who's the serious guy? It just seemed like everybody was like the serious guy, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I just think they made a mistake, too, with the, uh, I don't know, like some of the CGI didn't work for me. I thought the performances were good all the way around, all around, but I don't know. Something was missing with that movie. I didn't hate it, but something was missing. Like Goodfellas, I could watch a hundred times Mm. I've already a hundred times seen it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you and know. that's what we that's what we were saying. Will Will another one pop up? Like, could there be? A, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. No one thought the Sopranos. The Sopranos was great. The Sopranos was on the level of Goodfellas and all those. Things. Oh, isn't the Sopranos coming out in a, a movie? Yeah, that's coming out. It's called The Many Saints of Newark. Newark. That's where I was born. Yeah, Many Saints of Newark. It's going to be a John Bernthal plays young Tony's father. Tony's son plays him younger. Uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be interesting, you know? Did you try out for anything with that or not? Nah? No, because I was already in The Sopranos. 
Yeah, this, but you, you did different now. Put a beard on or something. I don't know how it works. Yeah, nah, it's not. I wish. But, nah. <laughs> but uh, all right, Rich. It's seven thirty, brother. I'm going to uh, watch this thing over here. All right, man. Yo, I appreciate it. I had a good time talking to you, man. Good luck with everything, and I'm happy to hear that you know everything's going good. Thank you, Rich. But you're a real gentleman. I appreciate this. It's a great interview, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely, my man. I'll talk to you soon. Maybe one of these days I could get the kid who played like Crazy Mario or something. He's really he's a really good friend of mine. I love that. That kid's yeah. great. Yeah, so maybe we could get do you know we could get a side by side. We'll tell you he's funny. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, for real. He's a I, funny, charismatic guy, and we do well bouncing off each other. So just let me know. All right, Rich. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have fun tonight. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America Podcast will always be there for you. Don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker! Who the fuck is this doing? This is Post America! You ain't shit, motherfucker!